some of our people, let's give Mike some, uh, some Paul hospitality. Let's just pray for him. Uh, just want a couple of people, just come, come and come let's just pray him. for Mike. Come let's come and, come and stand around Mike. Yeah, when he's calm, yes, I know you're actually a rowdy bunch. Let's not scam me. So come on, but not go for Mike. Ja, Heer, ek bid vir my, Heere, dat hy, Vader, dat hy die stem sal hoor, en dat hy, Lord, that he may be a conduit of, of your voice this morning, Father. Um, ask him to say what, he, what, he's, what he's got on his heart that you want to say, Lord, and not say what he wants to say. Jesus, I, I just pray that you anoint his, his message. Um, Open our hearts, Lord, to hear what He has to say, and Father, may what what whatever He is going to say, Father, just impact us, Father, and also help us to to impact the world around us, Lord Jesus. Uh, yeah, just bless bless Him, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just feeling, Mark, as um, we were, were coming around you and praying that God is not only going to use your voice this morning to, to speak to us, but that He's actually going to do something by Spirit of what He's been doing in your life. And there's going to be power and there's going to be an overflow. So, Lord Jesus, this morning, we want to thank you for working in His life as an individual. That the times that he's had with you, Lord, where he's been finding your face for, um, for the church, for his family, Lord Jesus, and for himself, Lord, and the work that you've been doing in him, the impartation that has come from the throne room, I pray that there will be an overflow into the hearts of each one of us here this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Ilana. Well, um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a joy. We haven't... Um, so I'm Mike, as was mentioned, my wife, lovely wife, Adie. Um, we we all the way in Wellington, so Wellington just up the road here. I know um, it's good to see some old faces again, it's some new. Um, we have been, uh, have the opportunity to, I've been traveling quite a bit, and so I'm also involved in TMT, which is a discipleship school, uh, Year of Your Wife, no, Year of Your Life. That's one of the nicknames. We don't actually tell the students that because, um, but actually, what a wonderful place to meet your spouse, right? If you're going to meet your wife or your husband somewhere, why not at a Bible school? Uh, it beats meeting them anywhere else. Of course, the church is part of that, but I'm involved in, in uh, TMT. It's been going about 20 years, and um, it's based at Provence in Wellington, which is wonderful. Um, been married for 24 years, and so, uh, and God has given me more than I deserve. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that for your own life, like has realized that actually we've been given so much more than we deserve. Um, our lives are grace. And that's actually what I want to speak about this morning is I want to share with you um, just a word. And it's something that I have been working through and wrestling through in my own life for many years, actually. I got saved out of a very conservative, very traditional um, background. Um, I got saved out of a church, you know, in the bar, um, once... Someone once said, his name was Dudley Daniel, he said, what you get saved into is in many ways more important than what you get saved out of. In other words, um, being saved into a family that you can get discipled and grow in the Lord, it's wonderful if you become a Christian and get saved out of an old life, but the question is, what are you being saved into? 
In other words, are you being saved into a family that, that is going to disciple you, that ultimately, and you know the cool thing about being part of Just Gen, we've been traveling around a lot over the last um, six months particularly, and we've been seeing a lot of different churches up in Johannesburg, we've been ministering in, up in the West Coast, in Bloom, uh, all over the Western Cape, and God is on the move. And if you signed up to follow Him, in a sense, we, we're not oxygen thieves, right? We're not those that are just kind of sucking air and saying, well, I'm going to church on a Sunday. No, 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 no. We are those that are fulfilling the Great Commission, which is to go and take the gospel into all the world. And so in many ways, we are global Christians. Um, yes, we're based here. You might be living in Paul or living in the area. We live in Wellington. But actually, we're global Christians, and we've got an inheritance that is actually to the ends of the earth. And I know in, in us being part of a movement like Josh Jen and 412, before that we were part of another movement many years ago, and we actually had cr friends from all over the world. Isn't that wonderful? From Switzerland and the Isle of Man and from Brazil and in Russia and in um, England and in N Namibia and the United States. I mean, you name it, we have friends there. Why? Because we, we're friends in the gospel. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So... What I would like to share with you this morning, and um, I would like to share with you, and I'll start with this story. You know, there's a story of um, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the, the famous author, and he was once uh, a professor at two universities at Oxford and then at Cambridge, but while he was at Oxford, there was a debate going on in the, um, the staff rooms where he was, as he walked in among some of the professors, and they were debating, and many of these professors were not Christians, uh, they were not followers of Christ. Obviously, he was. He had followed Jesus. And there was a, a debate going on about Christianity's contribution in the world. And what, was it, what made Christianity unique among world religions in some ways? And, uh, and he walked into this conversation, in the middle of this conversation. And as he overheard, and they're debating, what was Christianity's unique contribution? He said, oh, that's easy. That's grace. It's grace. And for me, if I have to sum up Christianity for us, the Christian faith, we sum it up with that one word, grace, the grace of God. And that's really what I want us to unpack this morning, is I'd like to do a little bit of a, a teaching with you about what is the grace of God and how do we live in great grace. Um, you know, there's this cool scripture in Acts chapter 4, because one of our values is Josh Jen, is that we, we look back to the early church as a, as a pattern uh, for pattern and principles of actually how we live our lives today. And in many ways, although we live in the 21st century, we base a lot of what we do, scripturally-wise, back in the book of Acts, because we see something there of the power of God and of the life of God that in many ways is something that we can emulate. And we want to almost be what, do what they did and, and, and know what they knew. And um, in order to do that, there's this wonderful scripture in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. And um, it speaks of this. It says, Acts 4, verse 33. And I'd like us to read it together. And it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it says, And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. And so you've got these people. It says, Grace was upon them. And there was some kind of activity of God that God was on the move. And he was busy working and, and moving among them. And you know, may it be said of us today that there is grace upon us. 
And you know, we think of a scripture in Romans chapter 6 that it says, we are no longer under the law, Romans 6, I think 13 or 14, but it says we are under grace. So what does it mean for us to be living in the grace of God? What does it mean for us to be under grace and not under law? And so these are things that I want to look at. And what I want to do is describe it, describe grace today. And I want to say the difficulty of talking about the subject, friends, is like when you, when you are unpacking this, this topic of grace, which is this theme that runs throughout the Scriptures. Um, someone once said it's a bit like dissecting a frog. You know, if you've ever done science class and you've dissected a frog? The problem is when you dissect it, it's dead. You know, and you try and understand it. But by doing so, you, you have to kill it first. And the danger of talking about grace, because it's this pulsating, radical subject of the favor of God, in some ways, sometimes by just defining it or describing it, I don't want to kill it like the frog. <laughs> I want to be able to unpack it to give us faith that actually Scripture does speak about this. But in some ways, I'm treating this with, with awe and reverence because of God's grace. So, yeah, that's part of the challenge, I think, in dealing with grace. But what I want to do is, and I want you to bear with me, is that the grace of God, in some ways, can be seen, and I want to use the, the, the example of a coin, and I want you to imagine I've got this coin in my hand, and a coin is made up of two sides, two sides of the coin, and I'm going to look at grace as having two sides or two aspects, and unfortunately, in the world today, we often find that only one aspect of grace gets emphasized, often at the neglect of the other side. And I'll show you maybe just now why that is dangerous, that we've got so-called grace teachers that are in the church today ministering or, you know, around churches, but they emphasize, they so emphasize one aspect of the grace of God that it actually becomes, it misrepresents who God is. And so it's this massive topic that we have to wrestle with for our own lives because, friends, we are under grace. We're no longer under law. We're no longer under the Old Testament. We don't follow the Old Testament like the Jews did. We have the Old Testament, and we learn from it, but we're not under it. Now, what does it mean to be under grace? And so I'm going to try and do the best I can to explain it, I kind of do a bit of a sweep through Scripture as I do so. Amen? Amen. All right. I know it's holidays, uh, school holidays at the moment. Um, I love the school holidays, must say. <laughs> My kids, or my daughter's coming home from Bloemfontein. She's studying in Bloom. I hope she still remembers how to speak English. <laughs> Apparently, what they say in Bloom, we've got a couple of TMT students from Bloom, and the joke is they always say hot chocolate. They don't say hot chocolate, it's hot. Hot chocolate. So my daughter might be coming back and going, Dad, can I have some hot chocolate, please? <laughs> Anyway, that's got nothing to do with what I want to share this morning. It's just a funny story. <clears throat> so let's look at the first side or the aspect of the grace of God. And the first side of this coin is the aspect that when Scripture, and we'll look at a couple of Scriptures now, that, that grace, what is grace? Grace is basically this. It is unearned favor. It is undeserved kindness of God towards you and I. It's when God says, I am not going to treat you how you deserve to be treated, even though I'm obliged as a, as a holy God to punish you and judge you, I am going to treat you differently from what you deserve, and I'm going to have a disposition, I'm going to have an attitude towards you of one of favor. It's unearned, it's undeserved. And just to illustrate this, and I'm going to look at some scriptures, 
Um, there's a story of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the very famous evangelist. And Billy Graham was driving through um, one of the, the states in Texas, one of the southern states, and he was driving through there on his way somewhere, but he was speeding. The, old, the famous old evangelist, speeding in his car as he was rushing through the small town. And as he drove through that town, like sometimes we do, you know, you're on holiday, and then it suddenly becomes 60, and you're going 80. And he was driving through this town, speeding along, and a policeman stopped him, pulled him off on the side of the road and said, Sir, you have been speeding. You need to go and see the judge so that we can, in a small town, go to the law courts, go to see the judge because you have to pay a fine. And so he took him to the law, uh, to the law court where he had to stand before the judge. And the judge to him, said to him, Sir, are you guilty or not guilty of speeding? And he said, I, I'm guilty. I've broken the law. And he said, well, for that, you have to pay one dollar for every mile that you went over the limit, or kilometer you went over the limit. And so he worked it out, he said, and the total is like $20, US dollars, you have to pay. And as he's giving him the, the penalty of his crossing the line, or sinning in a sense, he recognizes that this is Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, the famous you know, preacher. And he goes, ah, hang on, you Billy Graham. And then he says, you know what, I'm going to pay this for you. And so what the judge did is he took the $20 bill took a $20 bill out of his um, wallet, and he stapled it to the fine, and he said, I'm going to pay this for you, and not only that, but I want to take you out for a steak dinner. And he took him out for a steak dinner. And I want to say, you know, that is God's grace towards repentant sinners. In other words, and let's look at some scriptures, and, uh, and we'll unpack this. Romans 3, verse 24. In fact, from verse 23, uh, Romans 3, let's turn there together. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we've broken the law, haven't we? I mean, we know we've, we've sped, we've, we've, we've done, when I say speeding, I mean spiritually. We've all broken God's law, right? We know that. We're guilty before Him. And then and it says this, but we are justified. In other words, this is a legal term. It says we are made right with the judge. We are declared in right standing. We have been justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus came and he gave us unearned favor and he made us right with God that you didn't pay the penalty, Jesus did. Let's look at another scripture, Ephesians 2, 8-9. Such a well-known scripture this. I know many of you know it, but it's this wonderful reminder. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And in many ways, you know, we can't earn salvation. He's saying that it's given by God, and you can't earn salvation any more than you can try and get to the moon on your own. By flapping your arms, and if you flap hard enough, you're going to get to the moon. Or you're going to get to the top of Pearl Mountain. You cannot. It has to be given to you. And, and isn't that the difference between Christianity and religion? Religion says it's man's attempt to reach up to God and find God. It's man's way to earn favor. But Christianity is God initiating, saying, I'm going to come down to you. You can't come up to me. And I'm going to reach down to you. And I'm going to save you by grace as we receive him, as we believe in him. This wonderful thing. And, you know, I want to say this. This is the wonderful thing of the gospel that I think because we're such a performance-based generation, you know, we, we, we've been taught to perform. But, but is, and this is the gospel. It says this, that, that Jesus, that God accepts you 
because of the performance of Jesus, that, that I'm accepted because of what he has done. That is grace. It's unearned. It's undeserved. And we might sometimes know it intellectually, but I think sometimes we've got to learn how to preach it to ourselves and say it to ourselves because we fall into this trap. And I, and I want to ask you this question, folk, is, is this. Do you believe that you are accepted by God and loved by God today because of what Jesus has done? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God accepts you? Like he genuinely accepts you and his smile is over your life because of the obedience of Jesus on your behalf. That he lived the life you should have lived and he died the death you should have died. And that if you believe that, the Bible says that we are saved and we have his favor. Do you believe today that in a sense, like, oh God, when I'm feeling the shame and the condemnation, where well, I know I've messed up time and time again, because we all do, but God, I'm accepted. I'm loved by you. God, you love me, and, and you love me not because of what I deserve. You know, there's a scripture that carries on later in Romans 4. It says that God does not give us what our sins deserve. It says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And, you know, I have to remind this of myself because I, by nature, am driven. I don't know about you, but I'm competitive. It's one of my weaknesses or my strength, you can see. It's a weakness, actually. Um, You can ask some friends that when we play board games, I want to win. But when it comes to my relationship with God, it's like, Lord, you love me, even in spite of who I am and who I am. And this thing of, of, you know, what what God says about us, I know we know this, but we have to learn how to speak to ourselves. I know it was once, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this as well, is that a Christian must not listen to themselves. They must speak to themselves. A Christian must learn how to speak truth to their soul. In other words, you learn how to say, I'm today standing before you, Lord, and I remind myself of this. I'm not going to listen to my thoughts I'm not going to listen to accusation. I'm not going to listen to what even others say, even though there might be some truth in that. Lord, I'm going to listen to what your word says about me, which is, again, God, I'm accepted and I'm loved because of what Jesus has done. And if you cannot believe that, you cannot be saved. You're not saved. If you cannot believe that, you're not a Christian because then you are boasting in your efforts. And the Bible calls that self-righteousness. You know, that's the worst kind of sin. You know, we speak about all kinds of other sins, you know, Satan worshiping and all those. That's not the worst kind of sin. The worst kind of sin that Jesus condemns is a sin of self-righteousness, saying, I'm going to try to do this in my own effort. What grace does, grace humbles us. It, it closes our mouths from boasting, and it says, God, I come to you. How do I deserve this? Oh, Lord, thank you for your magnificent kindness to me in your son, Jesus. That's what grace is. But you see, that's only one half of grace. And now what I want to do is look at the other half, the other side of the coin. Because the danger is this, that if we only focus that, of this, this truth, that God loves me and that God loves you in spite of who you are, that no matter what you do, God loves you because of Jesus. If you only focus on that, you are going to have a heretical view of grace. You're going to have, in a sense, what they call greasy grace or sloppy agape, I've heard someone say once. (laughs) You're going to end up, unfortunately, in some of the grace teachers, 
Like, and I'm going to mention them because they are dangerous, friends. Some of what they say are liberating because there's truth in it. But like often things that are unbalanced, it actually becomes bad for you after a while. Guys like Joseph Prince, um, Joel Osteen, those guys, what they do is they so emphasize on one side that they neglect what the Bible says is a very important side of the other aspect. Um, and so let's look at the other side. And the problem is what that does is that leads to license. It basically says you can have a license and therefore God loves me, so I want to do what I want. And so you, you drift into this kind of compromised Christianity that says, oh, well, you know, yes, he, he, he's forgiven me and I can therefore just do what I want. Friends, that is not, that's one half of grace. It's scandalous, but, but there's another half. So the other side of the grace of God is this. So one side of grace um, is undeserved favor. The other side, it's also undeserved favor, but it's an aspect of it, which is empowering presence of God. That is the other side of the grace of God. It's God's empowering presence, the other side of the coin. And, you know, in Acts, there's a number of scriptures that speaks about how grace, in a sense, if grace is in you, if you have God's disposition and His attitude in Jesus towards you, that means that there's this grace working inside of you to actually learn how to obey Him and learn how to love Him, as we should. And, um, and we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's these wonderful scriptures, like in um, uh, Acts, in the book of Acts, and we're not going to turn there, but in the book of Acts, a number of times, it mentions that the Holy Spirit is called the gift. For example, Acts 2, it says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that God gives us his precious Holy Spirit, to live within us. So God's grace is towards us in Jesus and now is inside of you by the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do as He lives inside of you? Because Hebrews chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of grace. In other words, He's working within you to learn how to obey Him and serve Him. And what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a... a Four scriptures, we're going to do a little bit of a jet tour where we're going to go through four scriptures where I'm going to show you where the New Testament speaks about grace that empowers you to do certain things and to live a kind of sacrificial life. Um, and in fact, you, you can't say that you're under the grace of God and simply live like you want. It's, it's foreign to the New Testament, foreign to Christianity. And as we do this, I want to use an analogy with you on the second part of the analogy of surfing. I don't know if you have, any of you, um, you know, have, have been in the water much, but I grew up, I was born in the Seychelles, so I was born basically in the sea, not quite. I was born in a hospital, but I was born in this little set of islands in, in the Indian Ocean, Seychelles, and I've always grown up loving the sea. Um, I'm not a great swimmer. My wife's actually a much better swimmer than I am, but when we moved to Cape Town, particularly in 99, I decided we lived in Bloberg Strand right on the beach, and decided that I wanted to take up surfing. Actually, I took up bodyboarding, which surfers say doesn't really count. Anyway, I was lying on my board. The nickname is you're a speed bump. That's what they call you in the water because they can just ride over you, you know. Anyway, I, I took up bodyboarding, and, um, and I had my flippers, I had my board, my wetsuit, and I would often go out surfing. But because, you know, actually I, I needed to learn about the ocean, that although I'd been born there, I wasn't very skillful with the ocean. And friends of mine would take me surfing with them, and they would teach me, Mike, you've got to learn how to utilize the power that is under you when you, when you, when you are paddling out. One of the things that they would do is they would always, when they paddled out, like we went to 
Big Bay often, Big Bay um, Surf Life, uh, well, yeah, Big Bay, the Big Bay there, Big Bay. <laughs> small Bay, Big Bay. Um, you do have Small Bay, but then anyway. And when we would go surfing at Big Bay, I noticed that the surfers, when they paddled out, they never paddled out on the right, they would always paddle out on the left side of the bay, and because that's where there was this rip that would take you out, this current, they would pull you out to sea. And many of them, they would paddle out through the waves, but there was this power that was working under them, this current that pulled them out into the back set. And if you didn't know how to utilize that in a sense, you, you, you often got swept out. You could get swept right out or get swept to the rocks. And the best surfers that I saw, they knew how to position themselves to utilize the, 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 the currents that were available to them. And you see that the best surfers as well, even when the wave comes, what the wave does, it sucks up. And they know where, where to kind of position themselves to take the wave and then to ride that wave. And you know, in many ways, that illustration of God's grace, as we look at these scriptures now, God's grace in um, Philippians 2, it says that, that God is at work within you. Um, let's read it together because it's a very interesting scripture. And it's a little bit like these currents that, are, that we're working in and working with that is at work within us. Philippians chapter 2. Um, many of you know this well, though, but I'm going to just turn them. Ah, Philippians. It says this, that Philippians 2 verse verse. 12, it speaks about how you must work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then it says in verse 13, for it is God who works within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so in a sense, when you become a Christian, as the Spirit fills you, as he enables you, you suddenly are, you've got this power inside of you enabling you to obey him. And therefore, we, we see scriptures like this. And let's look at Titus 2, verse 11 to 12. Let's look at, there's five, and I want to give you the first one now. Titus 2, 11 to 12, and here it speaks about the grace of God and says, the grace of God has appeared. How did the grace of God appear, friends? It says it appeared, bringing salvation to all people. How did God's grace come initially? It came through Jesus, one full of grace and truth. And as it came through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, it says that this grace comes into our lives, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. In other words, that every time you come across temptation, uh, I know I do this from time to time where I fast. I don't know how many of you have a practice of fasting. In other words, not feasting, fasting, fasting food. And um, it's something I'm trying to do a bit more regularly where I'm trying to learn how to discipline my body. And instead of eating when I should be eating, I'm going to pray during those times. And, and there's been times where I've been fasting successfully and when the temptation of food comes across my path, I'll show you one time when I didn't do it successfully. I was a high school teacher, and, um, and I was at Milton High School in, in Cape Town. I used to work there. And the one day I decided I wanted to fast, and for whatever reason it was, and I was doing well that day. And it came to second break, and I'd been busy, on my feet all day, and I was, I was hungry. Man, I was, I was so hungry. I could have eaten Anyway, but I was like, no, I'm fasting, you know, and all the teachers normally have their lunch boxes and their little tubrookies and, you know, in the staff room. And I went into the staff room. But that day, that day, the, one of the moms decided to put out um, food on the staff room table. She decided to bless the staff <laughs> with Cook Sisters and milk tart and, you know, it was just all there on the table. And I remember, like, I just had a difficult day. And I remember seeing the food. I was like, no, no, that's not fair. No, Lord, you know. Get behind me, Satan. And, 
And, and eventually, I was just so hungry, I was like, no, I, I don't care. And I took a plate, and I took the food, and I just ate. I broke my fast. And I felt terrible afterwards. It's like, man, that was so good. It's like, oh. <laughs> In that sense, you know, the grace was not there. God's grace was there to help me say no, but, but I didn't. So my flesh took over. But there's been other times where, you know, I've made it through. And when I'm, I open the fridge and I'm fasting and there's the chocolate cake in there. And it's a moist piece of chocolate cake. And it's got my name on it. And it's calling me, Michael, come to me. Eat me. Take me. You know? And then... I, and I closed that fridge. I said, no, today I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be seeking the Lord. I'm going to be beating my flesh into submission. When you do that, friends, according to Titus 2, it's not you that is doing that. It is the grace of God helping you to say no. So when you learn how to say no to temptation, some of you might be, maybe for you, and I know I'm one of the guys, especially in this age, it's every man's battle is the aspect of sexual temptation. But every time you say no to sexual temptation, it is the grace of God teaching you to say no, to say no. And so God's grace is at work training you every time. It's empowering you to say no and to say yes to Him. Let's look at other scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. And then I'm going to end and explain how do we receive and walk in God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. And um, I'm going to actually turn it there. I know you've got it on the back, but I just want to turn it in my Bible. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul writes, and he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't you love that? He says, I am what I am. But he doesn't use it as an excuse to say, well, you know, this is who I am. I'm just, for example, Cassie at the beginning mentioned about shouting and praising and, and learning how to, how to worship him in spite of our own inhibitions, right? You know, saying, and I've heard people quote this, oh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm an introvert. You can't ask me to shout or, or raise my hands or, or, you know, celebrate before God. I am what I am by the grace of God. That is not what the scripture means. <laughs> and I've had to learn as an introvert that God's had to stretch me to be someone that has to learn how to love people, because that's what what God empowers me to, to learn how to raise my hands and, and celebrate Him because of who He is and what He's worth. Anyway, and He says, but I'm, by the grace of, I am what I am. And then He doesn't use it as an excuse to sin. He uses it as a motivation to actually obey and live for God. And look what He says, and by His grace towards me, His grace towards me was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't just given, and I and I didn't, like, ride the currents in order to utilize this grace to live for him. No, 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 no. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it is not I, but it is the grace of God in me. Like, what? what? What do you mean? I don't know. But he worked hard, but it wasn't him. It was grace. In other words, you say, no, I'm not going to sin. No, I'm going to say no to sin. I'm going to say yes to God. That's not you. It's grace. But are you doing it? Yes, you're doing it. But it's not you, it's grace. It is God empowering and working within you so for us to be fashioned so that we could live for Him. This is the implication of it. Does it mean that we are not to work hard? And, and I know one of the arguments for um, the grace teachers, I've heard some of the guys teach this, they say that if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you should be living effortless Christianity. Effortless. That's the term that they use. Effortless. In other words, it's like you're just surfing 
and that the wave just carries you, you're not doing anything. But that is not the kind of grace the Bible says. It's grace that somehow you've got to make every effort. That's what Hebrews says in many other places. But at the same time, it's not you. It's grace. So that means that when you get up in the morning to spend time with the Lord and you don't feel like it and you say, God, I'm going to go and pray or I'm going to come to church even though I don't feel like it or you know, I'm going to community and I'm, I'm going to order my life around the people of God and you get up in the morning and everything in you is screaming, no, don't, you know, you're so comfortable, you deserve to lie in, you know, and, and you know that, no, I need to spend time with the Lord because it, it's a value, I want to come to God. You know, no, don't. And then you think, no, and you swing your legs out of that bed by faith. You know, you pull the, or I, do, I struggle in the morning. I'm not a morning person. And I get my legs out of that bed. Ah, oh, I'm going to do it. And I get up and I, and I kind of make my way to the kitchen and I get coffee. And then I, I find the Lord. In that place, that's not, that's grace. But it's me. But it's grace. <laughs> Let's look at another scripture. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. 2 Corinthians, it's not the coffee, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 1, same idea here, and I'm just looking at scriptures that have the same, same concept, but different things. So he has grace to work hard, not to be lazy. 2 Corinthians 1.12, and this is what it says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in, a, in the world with two things, simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, right? And supremely so towards you. He says that we've lived with simplicity. We've lived with a sense of holiness. That's what it refers to. But it's not me. It's the grace of God. Let's look at another scripture, 2 Corinthians 8. So we'll look at a number in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And here, if you look at your Bible, what is the, the heading to do with? What is the context? Let's read it. For we want you to know, brothers, and here, okay, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. But what is he saying here? What is he referring to in this context? Does anyone know? He's speaking about giving, sacrificial giving, and he actually carries on, and he says, for they gave according to their means, and they gave beyond their means, and in verse 6, he speaks about this act of giving is an act of grace. But the way that they gave, friends, the way they gave wasn't like, okay, well, I'll give a bit, you know. Okay, I'll put 10 rand in the offering basket, or I'll give when it suits me. No, 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 no. Their giving was sacrificial. It hurt them. And it says, no, but it wasn't just you. It was grace given to you to give sacrificially, giving towards the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That every time you give sacrificially, you give into the house of God, you give as the Lord prompts you to give, as you as you're faithful with your tithes and your offering, when you do that, it's, grace, it's a sign of the grace of God at work within you. Isn't it amazing? Let's look at the, the last one, the next one. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Is grace. And so I want to end with this, is that practically, how do we walk in the grace of God? How do we actually have this grace flowing to us? Because we know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace, and He empowers us, and as we learn how to position ourselves. And so this is how, and I'm going to use that analogy of a surfer again, is you have to learn how to almost position yourself in the right way to know how to find grace. 
Actually, you find a scripture, it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we come before the throne of grace. It says that we might receive help and find grace in times of need. And, and find like there's people almost that grace is able to flow through you, and there's some people that actually resist the grace of God, even as they're following Him. And let's look at two ways that how we can actually walk in the grace of God. Number one, um, John 1 verse 16, 1 verse 14 16 is this, we have to remain in Jesus. That's very simple. We must remain in Jesus. We've got to trust in Him and love Him. And in John 1 verse 14, it actually speaks about how Jesus is full of grace and truth, right? So what is He like? He's a God that is for you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He shows kindness towards you, that He smiles over you because of His work on the cross. And it says in this in verse 16, for from His fullness, we all have grace upon grace, we all have grace upon grace. In other words, that when you're in Jesus, when you're in Him, trusting in Him, loving Him, following Him, holding on to Him, when it's not easy, that you fight, you're going to Him and you say, Lord, I trust you, even though sometimes my, my faith is in doubt and shaking, I'm going to hold on to you, Lord. Every time you remain, as you remain in Him, there is a pipeline coming from the wellspring of Jesus Christ, pouring into your soul, and it says, of grace upon grace of one spiritual blessing upon another, how do you receive that? How does that help you to give sacrificially and work hard and abound in good works and learn how to love one another? How do we do that? Because you're remaining in Jesus. And as you're in the source, there's this wellspring of grace that comes into your life. If we don't get to Jesus, we lose the wellspring. We lose the, the pipeline is not flowing. Now, you might be saved, but you're not going to be a very effective believer, hey? And I think these simple things like remain in Jesus, be a follower of Jesus, and be a follower of Jesus is actually following Jesus. You know, if we say we're followers of Jesus, but we're not following Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. Then, then we make a mockery. So remaining in Christ, when the New Testament says that you're in Christ, it's not a passive thing. It's an active process of saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you. Today, I'm putting my trust in you. Today, I believe in what you've done, and I'm going to speak that truth over my life. I'm speaking over others, but for me, Lord, I'm remaining in you. Secondly, as we remain in Jesus, so grace is not an impersonal principle. Grace is God himself. He's the God that is for you, and as we find him and love him and draw near to him, you'll find that this grace works in our lives, even when we don't feel it. And then along with this, 1 Peter 5 verse 5. And in 1 Peter 5, 5, it's this promise where it says, God resists the proud, that if you're proud, he'll resist you, but God gives grace to the humble. So he promises that if you position yourself with humility, what does it mean to be humble? It means to keep yourself low and be in a position of saying, God, I need you. And being willing to recognize that you are not the Lord, he is, and to recognize authority in your life. If you are a man or a woman under authority, you are exercising humility, and there is grace. If you say, I'm going to come and no one's going to tell me what to do, I serve God only, friends, that's not humility. Humility before God is worked out in our attitude towards our leaders, as simple as that. You cannot say, I will serve God and I will not follow my leaders, that is not the New Testament. 
And if you look at the context of 1 Peter 5, it actually says, submit yourselves to your elders. And this is hard attitude of saying, Lord, oh, I'm going to be under, under your authority firstly, and then under the authority of those you've placed around me, Lord. And then the Bible says, God, grace flows to you, and kind of you're able to surf that wave and be effective for him. Amen? And so in closing, we have the privilege that we are the most blessed people on earth. You know, there's no one like you. There's no one like us. That we have received far more than we deserve. Like, isn't it phenomenal? Like today that you've received gifts from the Father. That God says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. That I'm for your success. Do you believe that today? That God's heart is for you to succeed and to prosper. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are loved by God? Do you believe that you are accepted by God? Do you believe that this God is cheering you on? And even though maybe you know that you're a loser, <laughs> but he says, but in Christ you are a winner. You are more than a conqueror through, through him who loved us. I know who I am, Lord. I know my failings. I know, I know what I'm like. I know what I'm like. Oh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, that grace empowers me, Lord, to live for you. Oh, that grace empowers me to receive from you that I would not boast, and that if people say, but what is it about you? You'd say, oh, you should see this God that I serve. My boast is in Him. It's not in ourselves. It's a gift of God by the Spirit empowering us to live for Him. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close. And um, What is so amazing about grace? Amazing grace. Oh, God. You know, as I pray, I want to say that, and I want to give an opportunity this morning, because maybe you here, and maybe if you, you realize that actually you have not given your life to the Lord, or actually you've not surrendered to Jesus Christ. And you know, when I was a new Christian, we used to use this illustration. I want to use it for you, and maybe this is helpful for you for evangelism as well, is the Bible says that God has given you, He wants to give you salvation, right? He wants you to be saved. And there's this gives you salvation as a gift. But the way God gives you salvation is that He gives it to you, Romans 6 verse 23, He gives you salvation in Christ. So in order to receive salvation, you have to receive Jesus Christ. You can't be saved without Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And so how do we receive salvation? So if I say, you know, Rulof, it's your birthday today, what, what the Bible says that to those who believed upon him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, John 1. So what must you do to be saved? You must take it. You must receive. And you say, Lord, I receive what you've done. And you can't earn it. Rulof, he can't earn it. It's like a birthday present. You receive it by, by faith. And that's what salvation is. Say, God, you've paid the cost, but I get the benefit. And is there anyone here today that maybe you haven't received salvation? Well, and you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have to turn away from our sins, and we actually have to turn towards Him, turn away from our old lives. Is there anyone like that? You don't have to close your eyes, but is there anyone that wants to have prayer that you want the assurance of your salvation, or you want to, maybe you've been a prodigal and running from God, but you know, today, you, it's okay, Lord. I'm going to receive this gift. I'm going to make you Lord and Savior. 
I'm going to invite you into my life. I'm going to believe upon you. Is there anyone like that this morning? Just where you are, raise your hand. Anyone? So we all know him. Well, then I want us to pray together. And um, if you this morning, um, in fact, just before I pray, there's a couple of prophetic words that, we, that I want to release. And I'd like us to spend some time in ministry and prayer. And um, who were the two words? Was it Emma? Was the one? Okay, can you come and share those words that you sensed in worship? Hello. So um, I saw someone drinking through a little, um, those card- cardboard box, little drinking straws that you give the kids. Or it's like little juice and then you drink out of that. And it felt like um, there was something more of the Lord that you wanted. But it's, you feel like, all you've got is this little amount that you can drink from, and you're sucking through the straw that feels almost blocked. But um, in reality, the, the other image I got was if you go to a carnival and you're standing under those buckets of water where they, someone has to throw a, a bean bag and it hits a target and then the bucket pours over you. And it, more of that image of the, the Lord doesn't want you to be sucking from this you know, small amount that you think you're going to get from Him, but what He actually has for you is this waterfall, this, um, there's more for you, and you don't have to settle with what you think the Lord has for you. There's much more. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think mine um, is actually very similar to that. I was reminded of, of Cassie's finger, <laughs> and, and I just felt three things, like um, I feel like some of us are walking around with a finger that's hurt, um, and it's due to either something we've done uh, in the past, or it is um, something that we're struggling with, and the other thing is, is it could be pain in the past, um, or pain that we're enduring. And every time we're coming close to God or you want to encounter God, it's like we bump this finger against the wall or against something. And I just feel um, with regards to something we've done or something that we're struggling with, and God is the one who makes us righteous. And with the one um, where you've experienced hurt and it really hurt you, and every time that you're wanting to come close to God, you're experiencing this hurt again. Um, There's nothing that can separate us from God. Um, no rough patch, no uh, storm, nothing can separate us from the love of God because we were made to be close to God. We were made to, to be aware of Him around us because He's always with us. Uh, there's that promise that God binds up the brokenhearted. He doesn't leave us broken. His heart is to make us whole. And uh, His heart is to make us full. That He doesn't want us running on empty Maybe you're here this morning and you're actually running on empty or you're running on like the fumes or, you know, you're sucking out the straw with a broken finger and you're kind of limping along. And you need, new, you need fresh grace, you know. The, one, the promise is that as we are together and as we pray for one another, that there is the empowering presence of God can come and fill you and encourage you. And so let's all stand. That's where you are. So we want to create an opportunity for ministry. And where you are, just maybe just, just, just wait on the Lord where you are. Just respond to Him. Just receive of Him. Just come before Him this morning.
acknowledge that if you've put your, your faith in Jesus and you've turned away from sin, that you're following him, even imperfectly like we all are, that right now the Father is for you and not against you. That you have a God who is wanting to empower you so that you can follow hard after him. That you can live for the glory of God in this world. Come, Lord. We just invite you this morning, Lord. Spirit of God, we want to invite you just to come and fill your people. Fill your people this morning. Fill your people. Fill your people, Lord. Oh, Lord. Fill, fill your people. More of you, Holy Spirit. We want more of you, Lord, this morning. Just want to trust for more of your presence in our lives, Lord. For that trickle, that maybe little stream to become a river. That river to become a, a mighty, a mighty waterfall. A mighty stream flowing forth, Lord, gushing forth from within our bellies. Come, those who are thirsty, Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst. Jesus. We need you, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Oh, we receive of you, Lord. We receive. Come, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. Your grace is enough. It's sufficient for us, even in our weakness. Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. Oh, Lord, we surrender and we humble ourselves. We draw from you. Just receive of him now. Just receive of him where you are. Just breathe deeply, even physically as a sign of like that you're breathing in grace. You're breathing and we know he's, he's within us. But as you just allow him to fill you and flood you and refresh you, just let him refresh you this morning. Let him refresh. Let him heal. Let him strengthen you right now. Allow him to do your work. Don't, don't block him off. Give up control. Yeah, Lord. Come to you, Lord Jesus. Come to you, Lord Jesus. Come to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, we worship you, God. Worship you, God. Oh, we worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. Just where you are, just worship him. Just where you are. We don't, want, we don't have spectators in the kingdom of God. We've got participants, each of us. And that's where you are, press in. Just where you are. Just, Lord, access grace. Come before the throne of grace. That you would receive his help and find his grace in times of need. For you have a high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses. Who was tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. But he sympathizes with you. He, he feels for you. He was in your shoes. Just receive grace. Just, yes, Lord, we worship you this morning. Oh, we come before you this morning, Lord. Oh, we receive of you, Lord Jesus. We receive of you, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Worship. Worship, we worship, we worship. Worship, we worship, we worship. We worship you, Lord. If you can even pray in the Spirit, just pray or sing in the Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We don't want to drink from the straw. We want to drink of you. Oh, we want more of you, more of you, more of you, Lord. More of you, more of you, God. Earlier we were singing like um, you're working, you're currently working, the Lord is working um, and we see this image of Him not, not resting but working and um, I just felt the sense that He's working through us as well. Um, like we're opening our hearts to receive the grace but He might be highlighting things in your mind that He wants you to apply in your life. Um, maybe... And as you, as you follow Him in the, in the leading of His Spirit, that there's new grace that will be unlocked in you. Like what you receive now, what we're opening our hearts to do, that's not the limit. This is the invitation to open our hearts, to, to welcome His grace in our lives and to welcome Him to highlight something. Um, what should we do, Lord Jesus? What, what do you want us to, to do? What are you leading us into, Lord Jesus? We know that you've got buckets full of grace, Lord Jesus. You've got good works planned for us, Lord. And when you work through us, Lord, as we, as we follow your Spirit, as your grace allows us to work your good work in this world, Lord. What I'd like to do is to, for us to respond. And um, if you identify with one of those um, prophetic words that came out or you just want more of the Lord, um, and you want prayer, you know, this is the privilege of us as a people that we pray for each other. If you want to respond, if you feel the Lord prompting you to respond, I want you to slip out of your chair and come to the front. You want to respond to one of those words, and you want to receive prayer. We're going to pray for each other as a body, and we're going to, um, if you need prayer, come slip out. No one need prayer? Okay, let's do it this way. Okay, let's try something different. <laughs> if you need prayer, I know I do. I'm going to raise my hand. I'm raising my hand now. Is anyone else who needs prayer? Raise your hand with anything. You need like, it's a broken finger. Or it's a, you're drinking out the straw and you need God to enlarge that thing. So you need more grace. Come on, who needs more grace right now? You need the grace of God in your life. Raise your hand. And maybe let's pray for each other. And so... If you want to, if, as, as hands are raised and even for the leaders can turn around and can see folk who need prayer, just keep your hands up, keep your hands up. 
um, and you particularly need prayer, like you're in a particular place where you need God to, to come in and you need a work of, of grace. And I'm just going to ask, keep your hand up. There's um, Bernie, there's a couple there, a lady there. Um, let's keep your hand up so we can pray and turn around. Let's pray for each other. Look around and see who needs prayer. I do. Someone can pray for me, <laughs> I'll, but I'll pray for you first. Anyone else? Keep your hand up.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ja, Heer Jesus, ons sê vir jou baie dankie vir verochend. Ons sê dankie vir die wonderlijke geleentheid wat ons het om in Jerusalem teenwoordigheid te kan wees. Ons weet, Heere, is by ons, Heere, is met ons, Heere, is in ons midde. Ons sê dankie dat Heere vir ons een woord van genade gebring het. Een genade wat beskikbaar is vir ons en in ons. Heere God, ons, ons wil bid dat soos wat ons dier ons week gaan, dat ons Heerese woord ons eie sal maak, ons sal kou daaraan, en dat het binnen in ons iets sal ontkeet en iets sal laat ontkiem, wat sigbaar is, en wat God laat manifesteer na ander toe. Ons sê dankie vir die ochend, ons sê dankie vir die voorrecht, ons sê dankie dat Heere ons die genade betoon om eerste vir ons lief te wees en dat ons kan reageer daarop en sê Heere, omdat jy eerste vir ons lief was wil ons ons liefde terug betoon, ons gee terug wat net vir ons gegee is so God alles in alles kan wees in Jesus naam Amen Amen, baie dankie allemaal Thank you Mike Thank you Adi for joining us this morning. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you for everybody that participated. Have a blessed week. There's coffee at the back.